Hello, and welcome to Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Keisha. And we are going to talk to you today about episode three of season one, which is One Giant Leap. I almost called it Don't Look Back. (laughs) (laughs) That was last episode. (laughs) We're time traveling like heroes. Holy shit. Okay. Any unfinished business from the last episode? Not really. They didn't have any, like, big, huge cliffhanger other than, like, setting the date for the disaster. And now Hero has to get back and do something about it. It's one of the more soft cliffhangers they have in the season. Yeah, it's not like the one we get at the end of this episode. Well, yeah, today's a doozy. Today today you walk <laughs> away and are like, whew. So I guess let's start with Nikki. And I promise we won't talk about her for half the episode this time. We're not we're not gonna spend like twenty minutes talking about Nikki this time, so we're we're pretty much just gonna hit her story beats and then move on because that's a lot of what you end up having to do with her character, especially in the early part of season one. So Rachel, what do we get from Nikki and Micah and all that in uh, One Giant Leap? All right. Well, we pick back up with her pretty much where we left off with her, where she uncovers the body where she's about to bury more. Except this episode, she finds a ring on its finger, a very distinct skull ring that we later find out is a ring worn by DL's old crew. It's not buried very well either. No, that's like barely (laughs) under the surface. And we find out that DL apparently stole $2 million from Linderman and then murdered his crew. And that is why he was supposed to be in jail, but he's not. And and there's several people in Nikki and DL's life that are 100% convinced that he is innocent, that he would never kill anyone, and that he did not take that money. One of those is his mother, who we get to meet this episode, and you can tell she and Nikki don't really get along. She also thinks Micah would be better off with her, something more stable. When you first watch it, you're not quite sure if you believe that DL is innocent, especially because of who thinks it is. It's his mother. Of course, she's going to be like, oh, my baby would never do anything. And Micah, his son, who's also like, my dad wouldn't kill anybody. And yet we immediately have evidence that they might not be wrong because Nikki is burying bodies where allegedly he buried the bodies as well with a map drawn by her other personality. So it really seems like it probably wasn't DL after all. That he was framed like his mother said he was. But who would frame him, I wonder? Yeah. And and to what end? What would they stand to gain from getting DL out of the picture? Seems like something a protective mother might do. It very well could be. I guess we'll find out. The one final other note in Nikki's story is that uh, after she leaves his mother's house, she gets pulled over by a police officer. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I wonder what she did. Instead, it's a corrupt cop who's like, Mr. Linderman wants to speak with you. He might not even be a cop, by the way. That is fair. Like, I don't know. I've always wondered about that. Like, is it really? Because, yeah, it could be a you know corrupt police officer in Linderman's pocket. That's totally a thing. But I was always like, I wonder if he's really even a cop you know i feel like that would be a lot to risk driving around in like a a cop car if he wasn't a cop maybe i don't know linderman's got uh real power and connections so which is why he could have a corrupt cop in his pocket i need you to pull over this woman and bring her to me yes sir right away sir that's pretty much all that happens in nikki's story isn't it she had a little bit more in this one i think this episode was a little more exciting for nikki than the last one in as much as it can be yes (laughs) 
like in my notes i have her written down as nikki the island sanders because she really has no other connection to anyone else in the story unlike almost everyone else in this episode other than claire in this episode are very interconnected with each other in one way or another which it continues to make sense for claire to be separate because that's all her dad's doing yes like her being insulated from the rest of the story it just it makes sense because of you know the level of protectiveness over her that we'll really get into later why she's so separate from everything funny because it's like yeah we do get more characters introduced like paulette yell's mom and we get to see you know a little bit more in here a little bit more but it's just it's yeah it's so its own story it's an island like you said but it's just like okay it just doesn't have the you know it doesn't have the hooks but we've already talked about that so that's where we're at um we'll probably meet dl soon i bet so. you would imagine to be fair i don't remember what episode we do <laughs> me neither <laughs> i do think she does meet someone in the next episode though um i think it's either this one or the next one okay yes she's finally going to get an interaction with a character outside of her own really separate storyline it's also important to note that as of right now micah's still completely ordinary pretty much heavy sleeper nothing out of the ordinary about micah he has a great bit of foreshadowing though when he when he uh talks about his dad and he's just like they'll never find him though he keeps saying it over and over like that and it's like oh i want wonder if it has to do with any particular reason why it's so hard to uh hard to catch and keep even nikki's like you know where he is <laughs> no don't worry your head over it mom it's okay mom you just keep doing weird desert stuff and i'm i'll be all right <laughs> he slept for a long time in that car dude didn't he though isn't that fucking ridiculous it was daylight like i think as soon as the sun came up i'd be like why are we in the desert and why are you digging a hole the desert gets cold at night like how is he not that also oh my gosh I don't know. It's just, you know, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about Nikki again. So <laughs> maybe if I'm the car, really to maybe if like, the yep. car had like a freaking roof on it, but it was a convertible they're sitting in. Yeah. And he had like his jacket on him or whatever, but like, that's not enough. Maybe he was awake and just like watching his mom bury the bodies. I always thought he was faking sleep. Like back in the day too, I was always like, he can't be asleep the whole night. I refuse that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I refuse it. That struck me especially when I was watching it again. I was like, there's no way he was... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I understand you're trying to do, like, the edit to be like, it was nighttime and now it's daytime. It took her all night to bury those bodies. But it's like, come on. There's got to be a better way to show the passage of time than that. That's her cliffhanger. See you next week for Nikki, I guess. She's just, she's an island. She's an island and I want to go back to the mainland. So. Yes, we got to go swimming back. Over on the mainland, we get Mohinder, who is kind of going through it, trying to figure out his father's research. Which I think this is the first episode he actually says those words. Is it the first one where he says my father's research the way he said it i think it was i think so that line meant so much to the fandom if you were involved you remember <laughs> uh, if you're new to it just know he says it a lot and we thought it was great so basically yeah mohinder is really on edge he is trying to figure out the puzzles that were presented last week regarding the uh, flash drive he finds and what Chandra was working on, what his father was working on in regards to these people with abilities and what the hell he was doing in America for all this time and to try to figure out what breakthrough he might have made. But right now it's all looking like just a bunch of gibberish. Basically looks just like a like a screensaver, it's just the same stuff over and over again. And he gets visited by Eden who is just very much the picture of the sweet girl next door bringing him food and everything. But yeah, he's on edge. He has his gun still that he obtained from the uh, fake exterminator who was either bugging or unbugging his apartment. I bet he was unbugging. Yeah, so Eden comes in on sweet as pie. 
with her mac and cheese, you know, still peddling her little, like, Papa Suresh anecdotes, which I don't believe. But maybe, 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 maybe he went for it. I don't know. It could be a thing. It's really hard to just sit here and be like, you know, not want to talk about the company and their methods when I talk about Eden. <laughs> Are we going to have another 20-minute chunk where we have to be like, spoilers here? <laughs> Let's talk about Eden and her long line of um, company girls, you know. Um, but anyway, um, so he's he's really pissy and he throws a little fit. He really does, and in doing so, actually ends up unearthing a little a little journal. And in that journal, he finds a series of names, possibly some sort of samples. It looked like blood samples to me. I don't know. I think that would be a terrible way to keep them. Um, it's a real good way to contaminate your research, but he was stressed. Chandra was really stressed, so maybe he wasn't thinking entirely clearly. But the big find in this journal is an address, a name, and a key. And that name, of course, is Siler. He lives in Queens, right? He works in Brooklyn. He lives in Queens. He lives in Queens, lives in yeah. Queens. So yeah, he finds an address. This is the man who left the threatening answering machine message to Chandra. This is the person who has to have some idea, perhaps, of what happened to his father. My, maybe he even did it. Maybe he even killed him. Who can say? Um, but what's funny is that right now, even though he's getting on to the path of this person who we know in another storyline is, in fact, uh, a dangerous individual... He's much more intimidated or paranoid about the presence of the horn rim glasses man. He goes on this whole little, like, great paranoid rant when Eden comes into his apartment, just with a key, by the way. She doesn't knock or anything. She just walks right in. He, he goes on this whole little rant about how this man chased him from India to the, you know, to America and how he's after him and there's people watching him and he might not be wrong. No. So basically, Mohinder and Eden together decide they're going to visit this apartment. And I think it's hilarious because even completely disregarding the stuff from the actual Siler storyline that's starting up in the Parkman stuff, he goes to this apartment unarmed, unprepared, <laughs> just trying this key that doesn't end up working. So he ends up breaking down the door. It's a little like B&E. It's fine. Um, <laughs> to a little B&E. Uh, so he walks in, and, okay, I'm just warning everyone right now, I'm 100% gonna talk about this apartment a lot in the future. It is such a cool set piece, and it establishes a character that we've never seen outside of, like, some shadowy, you know, influence or, or voice on, on a voicemail so well. But also, it doesn't, because of casting decisions that would come about later. But I'm not going to go into all of it now. Suffice it to say, there's so much detail here. There's a story to be told. And this is why you have to love a show that actually takes the time to appreciate things like costuming and set pieces and, and you know, set design. These things are so important. Heroes is so good at this. They have iconic locations that they really establish in season one and beyond even. But season one in particular, not just this apartment, but Mohinder's apartment, Isaac's loft. These are really important locations. Big stuff happens here. Going back to this apartment, it seems fine. Really, uh, I don't know, not lived in like a museum kind of. There's, there's no heart in it. There's plastic on the furniture for crying out loud. But as he and Eden go through it, it's a little unnerving. Sure. But they get further and there's a secret room that they get into. And that is where it gets really interesting because it goes from, well, this is kind of unnerving. This really clean, neat, unlived in looking apartment 
to, oh my god, it's a murder room. He has a murder room. He has a shrine. This guy is insane. He's got Catholic guilt all over the place. He's got, forgive me for I have sinned, scrawled on the walls over and over and over again in this dingy, weird part of the apartment. He's got all kinds of messed up, like, pictures of anatomy. He has a textbook open that, you know, shows someone's head getting cut into, like, their brain being, you know, manipulated. It paints a really vivid picture. And I think it gives Mohinder a reason to be maybe 5% less afraid of some guy in some glasses who might be looking at him from afar. He's walking into something really dangerous here, and he doesn't quite realize it until then, I think, that his father interacted with an individual who is very, very dangerous and quite unstable, it looks like. But yeah, so what do you think so far of just the Bohinder stuff? And then we'll get into Parkman and how that whole thing goes with that part of the Siler hunt and that part of the character and all that. Well, I think that when we do the episode on six months ago, it's going to be a very long episode. <laughs> oh my god, it's going to be like two parts. There's so much to talk about for like everyone. <laughs> One full part is just going to be Siler and Mohinder shit, probably. Which might seem indulgent, but I mean, he becomes such an important part of the show. You can't ignore it. He's the iconic part of the show that people remember. So while we're getting this picture filled in of who Siler really is, they still don't really know very much about him in California, where uh, Matt Parkman, the cop who can read minds, is being interrogated by Audrey, the FBI agent. They have an interesting interaction that I think really sort of gives them a nice little start to their relationship as characters. She's skeptical. Um, We deal with a lot of that in the early part of the show, especially the people who are in these superhuman people's lives who are normal, you know, and how they deal with learning about this information in different ways. And obviously she's, you know, she's an FBI agent. She's a skeptic. She's, um, did you say she was Mulder or Scully? She's the Mulder in this episode. She's the Mulder because... She wants to believe. She wants to believe, exactly. Like, she doesn't just go... Matt, you're you're crazy. You're just a, a failed police officer with a chip on your shoulder. No, she's like, I need you to prove to me that you can read minds because I need help with this. This case is weird and nobody believes in me and they're going to probably, I would imagine, drop it pretty soon if, you know, they can't get anything because he's basically a ghost. They have nothing on him. They have a name. What did they say about the name? Wasn't it like someone said it? Isn't that a thing they said, like, in the beginning of the show? Like, like some victim said it or something? Because how else would they have that name? Like, oh my God, I'm trying to remember now. Like... I don't even know if it's in an episode that we've watched yet, but I feel like they mentioned along the way that, like, some dying victim says it. I think she either says that now or it's something that is mentioned in the comics. Yeah, it's it's either in the show itself or it's in the uh, comic books, which I highly encourage you to try to get a hold of. They're not hard to find uh, published anymore. They used to be on the website on NBC. They're They're published. They're... They can't run too much. Like, I can't imagine they're too expensive. They're probably easy to find, like, secondhand. But they do fill in a lot of storyline, and especially with stuff like this. The, like, early hunt for Siler. And filling in, like, his early victims and that sort of thing. But anyway, Audrey gives Matt this chance. And he actually, you know, he, he rises to the occasion. He's doing his uh, ability a lot better than some people who are struggling to try to figure it out. He, he reads her mind that, you know, she just needs someone to... What, what did she say? Like, what, what was the thing that she said? in her mind that i need this more than you do nobody believes in me 
I need this. That's what she says. Yeah, so she really is like the Mulder. She's, you know, she wants to believe there's a weird thing going on. Nobody else is really on her side that this is not normal what's happening. But yeah, so they start to form a nice little uh, partnership. She asks him if he wants to work for the FBI. So, you know, Matt's career at least is on upswing, potentially. We find out later on his home life, eh, not so great. They start a partnership where Matt can use his really cool ability to maybe help figure this case out. And just as they're really starting to get on together and, you know, get to work, something happens. And that's something is that Siler's back because he has an unfinished job. Molly is at the FBI, wherever they're at, under protection, which means nothing to him. It just means dead FBI agents on the walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, like... He's, he's, he's really, the way that they have him, especially in the beginning, he's like so inhuman and unstoppable. That's how, you know, they really portray him. So he's like really larger than life, more so than a lot of characters even who can like fly or heal because they have that humanity to them. And he doesn't have that at all yet because he doesn't have an actor attached to him yet. So they chase down the stunt double who's playing Siler at the time, which is really, really hard to ignore when you watch like any version of the show that's in like good HD quality. Because you can see the guy's face, even though he's got the hat and, you know, they shoot him in shadows and everything. Yeah, so he is, like, dragging Molly out of a room, and she's screaming, and the lights are flickering, and there's, like, dead FBI agents everywhere. And Matt and Audrey just run right in, and Audrey goes after him, and he pins her to the wall and makes her point her own gun at her head. And she's struggling, and she's struggling, and who saves the day? But Matt Parkman, he comes in and it has nothing to do with his power and everything to do with his ability to just light this guy up. He fires like five shots at him, I think. It's a lot. Well, he wants him down. Um, because it's, you know, it's, I don't know, he has like this nice little relationship with Molly. He, he gets very like paternal to her, which is going to mean something later too, uh, just in terms of where all those characters end up. But they have a nice start to the relationship where he's her protector. He's her hero. So he tries to stop him. And then again, going back to the inhuman threat thing he just he gets you know knocked down or whatever it looks like by all this barrage of bullets but then he just whoop he just stands right back up (laughs) he's totally fine and then in a minute like you know you blink and he's gone it's not the first time or i mean it is the first time but it's not the last time that styler's gonna do something even when we have an actor attached to him we're gonna go what how can you do that? You don't do that. I look forward to a future of, of that. Being like, <laughs> what power is that? You don't have that. Because the show liked to do it a lot with him. But anyway, yeah. So the hunt for Siler is on with both Mohinder and Parkman in different ways. And they're both going to have their lives affected by it as the show continues. Before we move on to Hero, not only do we meet his wife, he goes to a bar to kind of let off some steam and... You, you find him enjoying his power. Like, he's listening to people at the bar. Like, you know, he's kind of chuckling to himself, looking at people, kind of listening in. And he looks at a man that's sitting in a booth, and he hears silence. And that man is the Haitian. Like, we're not introduced to him by name or anything. Like, not even that name for a while. But it's just, we, we know it's the Haitian. He's very important. Yeah. He's wearing a necklace with the helix on it. And Matt passes out in the bar. And that's sort of his cliffhanger for the episode. And it's the Haitian. Yeah, he's a he's an important character later on, for sure. He is pretty powerful in his own right, in terms of the thing that he can do, versus people like a Matt, who could be really powerful. I'm excited to see more of him, 
as the story goes on. I'm less excited to get into his marriage problems as the story goes on. <laughs> it's interesting because it's like you see Matt do things like save Molly's life and he's got these little hero moments, but he's not a great husband. No. <laughs> like he's just not. No. And that's, you know, that's fine. He's got his flaws. He's a little, a little wrapped up in himself, I would argue. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to see more of that as season one continues as well. But we met the Haitian, and that's, that's going to be big later on. But yeah, that is, uh, that's Parkman's cliffhanger, is he passes out after he tries to read a mind he can't read. I always like to see the, the consequences of the, of the characters when they, like, play around or enjoy their powers. <laughs> they always seem, something <laughs> bad always seems to happen when they, when they, you know, just try to live with what they can do and just try to explore it. Um, but there's certainly another character who's trying to explore what he can do and how he can help people with what he can do, and that is Hiro Nakamura. And what's going on with Hiro? Last we saw him, he learned about a really bad thing. So what's he gonna do? Yes, he's he was there when New York went boom, and now he mm-hmm. is damn determined to make sure that does not happen. So step one for Hiro's plan <laughs> is he's gonna get Ando on board. Got to get his best friend on board with him. Not only because he's his best friend, but as we see, Ando is also in the comic that he got from the future. Like how I was saying that um, Audrey was a molder of this story. Ando is the Scully of this episode. <laughs> where he's not going to fully believe everything that Hero says without proof. Even when he's like, look, you're in this comic, this conversation we just had, he's kind of like, nah, w- what about it? So Hero's like, no, we got to go now. There's this little girl that's about to be hit <laughs> by a truck. They go off to go help this girl, and we get to see Hero's stop time action in full effect, which one of the things I like about this show is you've discovered that the time freezes were all practical effects. Mm-hmm. They just had their um, extras to stand still, They had wires in the little girl's hair that was, like, jumping rope. It's all practical, so he can just move through the scene. It's not really a whole lot of digital effect that goes into it. Which is, like, a cool way to do it, because it definitely, it it makes it look different, you know? So they they do save the girl, but it starts to call into question, he's changing things. When they Mm -hmm. later are on a plane, Ando's like, shouldn't I be back in Japan so you can call me? You said you called me. And he's like, no, we're changing the future. It's already changing. And yet, when they attempted to save this girl from the truck in a seemingly different way and almost caused the girl to die by being hit by the truck <laughs> mm-hmm. so how far can they actually change the future from what is written is a question i think is going to come up a few times going forward plus i mean the great thing about the hero and ando story is you get to see someone who's really powerful like hero with a sidekick of sorts, which they're going to joke about later on, and Ando's going to be like, nuh-uh. But um, Ando's normal. He's human. He is not special. He does not have extraordinary powers. He is a good support system for Hero, but he's a huge liability. He's just a guy. Your average office worker that likes to watch cam girls in the office. <laughs> See, I was going to say that. <laughs> Beat you to it. like, it. your Beat average you pervy it. office worker. <laughs> yeah. Which we see when they're on the plane together that he's got his little iPod and at the very bottom of his little Nikki video he's watching, it says uh, LasVegasNikki.com. And when you went to that, it would redirect you to the Ninth Wonder site when the show first aired. But as Mm -hmm. the uh, series went forward, they actually built a website for Nikki because Heroes had like an ARG thing going on for a little bit. Like I think in between, like into season two and kind of in between two and three, it was really going off they had a lot of little websites especially as a way to like fill that gap that came from the writer's strike 
because mm-hmm. we had a series of webisodes oh, yeah. that came out before that that I've forgotten about until recently. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So the, Nikki used to have a website. They also had a website for um, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Yep. They had the a website for the casino, the Corinthian. Uh, didn't Primatech have a website? I believe Primatech also had a website. I think those were the four. I want to say on the like Petrelli site at some point you could buy... <laughs> Like, stickers and stuff off of it, if I remember correctly. Oh, I'm pretty sure you could. I'm pretty sure people would have them on things. Like, I would see fans at conventions that would have them on backpacks or whatever. Yeah, I think you could buy, like, yeah, the stickers and, like, a shirt and stuff. They had a shirt. I think they had a shirt. Just wasn't around very long, the Vote Petrelli one. No, it was, like, a blink and you missed it. Like, it was around for maybe a month or something. That is something a lot of Heroes merchandise has in common. <laughs> Doesn't hang around long. So they're they're heading to Vegas. Yeah, he convinces Ando, and Ando gets, is really excited they're going to Vegas. After they get off the plane, Hero is determined they get a very specific car which is the nissan versa we got our product placement right there i can't see that stupid car on the road without thinking about heroes so i guess they did a good job yeah, great job nissan i was behind one on the way to work the other day and i was like uh. nissan versa. <laughs> and it has to be that car that very specific car <laughs> has to be which again oh, he gosh. he is obsessed with like keeping with the comic and yet he's trying to change things. So there's that very interesting, like, dynamic there. Like, we have to do it this way, and yet we're trying to change it. Which I think comes more into play as we go forward with Hero and Ando. What can be changed and what cannot be changed? Especially when you can either see the future or know the future. Or what's happening right now, but not where you're at. You know, like with Isaac. And what that does to people. And what they lose in trying to pursue it. Because Hiro, he he gained, you know, he, he has his friend with him on this journey. Which is going to be really important. It's going to be really important that, like I said, he has this, you know, support system. He has someone who knows him before all this. And, you know, is now on this ride with him. But then you look at someone like Isaac, who, when he embraces what he can do, he loses big. Uh, he loses his, his girlfriend. Which you could really argue that they didn't have that strong of a relationship to begin with. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he gets very um, fixated on wanting to stop the horrible things that he's been painting. Including, of course, the explosion of New York. So he gets in a bit of a frenzy about it. And Simone... She just, you know, she doesn't understand. She's pretty sure it's just him, you know, dealing with his drug problem, which under, okay, under normal circumstances, yes. You know, you you can't be mad at Simone for being like, okay, my boyfriend has a drug habit. It's making him paranoid. It's making him hyper fixate on these things that seem impossible. I don't know if I want to be around this situation or this person because it could get dangerous or, you know, that sort of thing. And then, again, you have to, like, switch the lens and be like, well, this is not, you know, an ordinary circumstance. We know Isaac can paint the future. We've seen it. So it's always interesting when the show will set that up with characters, you know, when they will present a situation where it's like, okay, if this were a normal couple, yeah, this would be justified. But then you see it through this, you know, lens of superhumanness, and it's like, oh, no, wait, this guy's trying to be heroic in some way. He's trying to use what he can do to stop a bunch of people from dying and a bunch of destruction from happening. But that's just because we've seen it, you know? It's so funny how they play with perspective like that on the show, especially with the uh, 
the bystanders, the sidekicks, the normal people in their lives. And I've been having fun, like, on the rewatch, <laughs> trying to look at it from their point of view. Yeah. Put myself in the in the shoes of someone that's like, this is, like, crazy. You are being crazy right now. It's kind of like when you watch Breaking Bad the first time, and you're like, yeah, Walt, the downtrodden hero. He's doing what he can to save his family, which obviously that all falls apart later. But... <laughs> It's so easy to be like, oh, Skylar, why don't you get it? You know, why don't you get these sacrifices he's making? And why don't you get the danger he's putting himself in for the family? But then if you watch it again, it's really so much more clear after, you know, seeing the series, you know, to its full completion. Oh my God, no. Like, she was right. He 100% is doing this for selfish reasons. He is, you know not doing this for the family. He's doing it for shits and giggles. He's doing it for an ego boost. He's doing it, you know, for all the reasons why she should be mad at him. And it's always funny to go back and, you know, watch a thing like this where, you know, at first, like, yeah, it was, oh, it's like, Simone, don't you get it? He's got powers and he's he's going to fix things. When now you can really be like, okay, but, you know, you have to look at things from her perspective that, you know, this isn't a world where these things are just normal and powers exist and People have them, you know? She's just dealing with a very grounded version of events. Yeah, I think we've evolved as viewers. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, so so basically he's going in, you know, a bit of a frenzy, trying to figure out how he can stop this. And Simone, she leaves. She has a great line where she's like, you think you can paint the future, paint one without me in it. That's a good line. Elsewhere, we have someone else who is dealing with the knowledge of what they might be able to do and what they could do with it, maybe, if they could just figure it out. And that brings us to Peter Petrelli face planting off of a jungle gym untold many a times. Like, <laughs> he's he, he's the perfect parallel to Claire in her, like, this was a temp number six video. Like, one can only imagine how many times he did that. <laughs> Smash right in the dirt every single time. Um, he's lucky he didn't break his nose or something, honestly. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. He's up kind of high. Which, uh, isn't it something that he talks about, like, in the first episode, how he needs to do, like, baby steps? Like, maybe jump off of... Doesn't he say he's gonna jump off a jungle gym? Like... I think Nathan said that too. Maybe you should take baby steps instead of jump- jumping off a freaking... <laughs> 12-story building, dude. Yeah, and doesn't Peter go like, yeah, like a jungle gym or something? I swear to God, he, like, foreshadows him doing this. Yeah, it was um, in the second episode that they were talking about that. Yeah. Like, baby steps, Peter. <laughs> Come on, just, you know, don't catch up and off roofs again. You're not ready. Because, yeah, he just, he face plants every single time. He just keeps getting up and trying, though. It's so his character. He, he can't figure it out, and he's frustrated by it, because he did it, you know? He flew for a moment. He did it. So, of course... The obvious thing he needs to do is to run right into Nathan's campaign office <laughs> and complain about this fact. Well, Nathan, he's just trying to run a campaign, man. He's just trying to figure out what tie to wear when he does his speech. And he's trying to, you know, answer all these questions from all these, you know, volunteers and interns. He's trying to win an election. And he's got this little brother who just keeps showing up. In public, at his place of business, if you want to think of it like that. Either saying he can fly or complaining that he can't fly. (laughs) And it's not hard, again, to shift perspective and be like, well, I see why he did what he did in the episode. Which is after Peter comes in and he's like, oh, I can't fly anymore. And Nathan's like, would you keep it down? Because he's always not quiet about it, by the way, when he does this. (laughs) He says it at full, like, conversational volume. He tells him that he heard there's a reporter 
who's been sniffing around what with, you know, Peter having been in the hospital and everything. And they need to figure out how they're going to, you know, damage control this, how they're going to spin it. He says this in hopes that Peter will just, like, lay off of it just for a little while, you know? I, I do wonder... Uh, if Peter had, if he would have been willing to, like, reapproach it with him later on, you know, like, after the election and everything, like, all right, you're not going to drop this ever, so I guess I can, you know, help you out. Or was he really just like, maybe he will just fucking stop? I mean, he should know his brother by now. He's not going to stop. Peter's not going to. He's not that guy. Once he sees, you know, something's possible, he's just going to keep going after it, even if it means place planting in the dirt like 50 times. That's who he is. I think it helps Nathan feel better in the end when he does what he does. Because he's like, I gave you the chance to knock your shit off. I had to do what I had to do, Pete. So, because Peter goes all in. He goes all in on his new superhero fantasy future even though he can't figure out how to fly <laughs> he quit he quits his job because you know even though he he liked his job he just he's he's meant for something else and when he quits when he gives his notice and he fills in his replacement you know with what needs to be done he runs right into simone the newly single simone by the way who um says that you know he's just got this this different way about him now he's got this this confidence you know later on she'll say that and uh, it's so funny because it's like she's drawn to him. They have like their little flirtation, but he's pretty much just like doing the same crap that Isaac is. <laughs> just he doesn't get the chance to tell her yet. He doesn't get the chance in the episode to be like, "So I flew once," you know. <laughs> like, you know, she just oh, she just goes back and forth between these two guys who have similar you know issues because the world is about. To expand a lot larger than just their, you know, love triangle problems. But right now, Peter is feeling great. He can't quite figure out how to fly, but he's going to get there. So he quits his job. And uh, the next time we see him after he meets with Simone is he's at the fundraising event for the Petrelli campaign. And, you know, he, he's there. He's looking all debonair with his, with his little suit and his hair just so. And he sees Simone there. And they have, like, their little, you know, cute moment. <sighs> But then Nathan gets up on stage and he gives a speech. And in his speech, he tells everybody that his brother tried to kill himself. He tries to tie it all in together. Like, this is something I want us all to come together as people. My father hid in the dark for so long. And my brother, too. I am one of you. I want want us to be together. I want us to, you know, Uh, we don't have to hide in the dark. in the dark and I just I want to support everyone you know that's what I'll do if you vote for me I will will help everyone you know just like I was there for my brother and Peter is pissed he is pissed because <laughs> um, not only did he embarrass him publicly he did it in front of the girl he likes which is its own special version of hell a girl who like we said has a boyfriend or an ex I guess with issues and so now it's like great now she's gonna think I've got issues and I have no shot in hell so this leads to Peter confronting Nathan about the speech, and he just punches him right in the face, which is so great. I, I love when Peter's pushed. A pushed Peter is, like, my favorite thing in the world, because he just gets so, like, ah, you know? He gets so aggro so fast. Um, <laughs> and he calls him a son of a bitch, and then Nathan says perhaps the best line in the entire show. Rachel, what does he say? <laughs> Careful, Pete. That's our mother you're talking about. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, the brothers. <laughs> I love the brotherly angst. I love it so much. And then, you know, yeah, he they get into it. He punches him again. Uh, his security pulls him away. And he's just, oh, he's just having a terrible night. And then, you know, he leaves. 
Nathan does not feel fucking sorry for what he did at all. He had to do it. He's got a family to feed and an election to win. That's what he says in the episode. And that's just Nathan right there. He's got his goal that he's working on right now. He can't be concerned with anything that gets in the way of it, including family. Especially family. He's got quite a family. So then uh, Peter leaves out, you know, and he goes out into the night and it starts raining. And he and Simone, he ends up under her umbrella and they have a little kiss and meanwhile, Isaac's uh, sketching this whole thing. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's bad enough when you have, like, you know, an ex to deal with, but it's, it's, you're forced to, to sketch what they're doing miles away because <laughs> that's what your visions tell you. Like, oh, that's rough. This is rough. Isaac has a rough go. He does not have, like, very many lighthearted moments at all. His is just a tragic path. He's, like, looking at the sketch and looking at his heroin supplies, like, oh. <laughs> Might need to dull the pain here. But yeah, so that's what's going on with the Petrellis. Their goddamn drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's so great because it's just it's it's such a nice little like start of them really getting uh, I guess like paired up against each other in an antagonistic way. And it's gonna kind of ebb and flow throughout the series. But it's like you just you have to remember that like they love each other, they're family. But at the same time, their values and beliefs are so different that it's going to matter, especially with these powers coming into play. Yeah, they're siblings and they love each other, but, you know, that's how siblings are. I'm excited. I'm excited to see their journey again, I guess. You want to take it home with the, the other island of sorts, but, I mean, with reason. Yeah, she's she's an island, Claire, but not as much as Nikki is overall. No. In this episode, though, she's pretty isolated from everyone else. So we join back in with Claire, and she's heading into school with her father. And they're carrying this uh, bear with a noose around its neck for a big bonfire they're going to go to. HRG keeps seeing Claire kind of, like, give puppy dog eyes to Brody. <laughs> and he's like, man, I'd be happy if you just only dated nerds. Look how well it went for your mom. And we, we run into Jackie again, who's like, nice glasses. You know, once again, like, look, remember, he's got his horn glasses. I'm going to again say this, like I said last episode again overall with jackie stuff this episode she's not as terrible as claire makes her out to be sometimes anyway so there's gonna be a football game it's an away game claire is excited about it zach however is not excited about it in the least and he's like you should be more upset right now i still can't find the freaking tapes why are you bothering with a football game you're like you're special you're 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 more than this why are you just trying to be a cheerleader and claire again is like i just want to be normal i what is the best case scenario for me i'm a freak or a guinea pig which she's not entirely wrong her her ability is very um it can be very powerful in the wrong hands i'm sure and she brushes zach off which i was having fun thinking about imagine zach who was trying to hype her up about her power combined <laughs> with peter peter needs a hype man like zach <laughs> can you imagine how wild that would be oh my god <laughs> instead of having nathan who sucks he would have zach that's just like yeah peter we're gonna jump some more come on <laughs> this is attempt number 27. All right. Yeah. No, Peter, that would be funny. Peter needed a hype man, but. Well, it's funny that you say that because, I mean, like, Peter, okay, I guess we're, we're tiptoeing into future land here. Whoa, 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 whoa. But um, he doesn't really have, um, a, like, a friend, like a best friend. No. A, a lot of the characters really don't. Like, they're kind of alone. So he'll get one later uh, for a while. Yeah. No, it, it is interesting to see, right? Because it's like, it's like the Claire... Zack thing is like the Hiroando thing, you know? Like, it's interesting to see how their stories are different when they have friends or support like that. So, yeah, they have very different journeys. 
when they have normal people around them to be like, yeah, do it. Or even, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? Is It's like you look at Peter and Nathan versus, like, Claire and Zach. It's exactly that. Zach's like, fuck being normal. Normal sucks. Normal gets you slammed into lockers. When you're him, her normal's better than his normal. So. Yes, the, re- the really the only like true friendship that like start to finish is like Hero and Ando. Well, you know we can't help that things happen with Thomas Decker behind the scenes on Heroes. <laughs> Otherwise, Zach probably would have been around more. That is true. <laughs> but yes, you're right. But like you know, toe to tip, it's Hero and Ando all the time, pretty much. So yeah, Zach, it's you know he's kind of upset with Claire, but he leaves, leaves her alone, and we pick back up with her again at the bonfire and she is full-on flirting with brody he gives her a beer they're both like oh you know he's like i really like you laying it on thick 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 and they do kiss there by the bonfire and as they're walking off there is a girl standing there who is not in a cheerleader outfit that is looking at both of them very concerned very foreshadowy and brody and claire are over by some bleachers and, you know they're making out and then brody decides you know what i want more than making out and so he tries to rape claire it gets mm-hmm. violent and in the scuffle claire falls and impales her head on a stick he pushes her i think it's really important to that detail he pushes her. She doesn't, like, trip. He pushes her. Yeah, and she falls right onto a pile of sticks, and she is seemingly dead. Yep, the indestructible cheerleader no more. She doesn't just wake right up from it. And the next time we see Claire, we see the stick being removed, and she pretty much instantly wakes up from it and sees her chest splayed open as she is in the middle of being autopsied. And we get this great cliffhanger of, like, where she looks down and she's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Except they obviously cut out the shit part. Which they really should have just let her say it. Because, I mean, they did on other shows. They sh- I think they were just, like, slightly too early for hour-wise at that time. They were, because do you remember when that happened? There was a whole buzz about, like, this is the family hour. What the fuck is this? With, like, some girl getting, like cut open because they were on at eight right was it nine they were on at nine i think they were on at eight first and then eight like central time i'm saying you know so it's probably like nine eastern and then they went back an hour what was it season four season three i know they moved i swear to god was it season four i don't remember i don't but they did move they did did move move, they went back an hour because it was like I don't know. I don't remember what season one's lead-in was, but like season two's lead-in was like Chuck. Yeah, we had Chuck for a while. Chuck first, and then Heroes. Yeah, and I don't remember what was afterward because what the hell was the lead-in, or were we the lead-in? There was something on before it. I swear, because I feel like it was on eight my time. I don't know. We're we're getting away from ourselves, but yeah, I remember there was a whole thing about that in particular about her being all like flayed open, and people were like, "What." the show is violent which they don't they don't shy away from either it's not like that happened and people are like oh let's be less gory (laughs) nope not even a little bit so it looks like she's not indestructible there is a way to shut her down i guess you would say i call it what it is in my notes i say we've discovered the sweet spot (laughs) because it becomes such a thing later so yes it becomes a thing later i mean this is now, like, the second time we've seen that there's something to do with the brain. We've seen with Siler, he's been mm-hmm. taking or doing something with the brain. <laughs> and now we see that, you know, if Claire gets her head punctured, then she's lights out. But she can't come back from it. As long as whatever is lodged in there or obstructing something is removed. Yeah, so maybe she can't go through a wood chipper like she says to Zach earlier. <laughs> 
she might not come back from that. But I think no. I feel like that's something the fandom argued over a lot. It was is. like, My what was is. the extent of Claire's power? How much could she get away with? It always came around to that. It always came around to could she carry a child? People always argued about whether or not she could ever be pregnant to term. Oh god, they yeah. needed they needed her to be in their fanfic. So, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that was such a thing. People would be like, there were arguments over it. Like, could she ever? Ugh. Would the body reject it? Um, yeah. If I can just if I can just dosy do back to that really uh, uncomfortable moment for a little bit. Um, yeah, so we see a young girl go off with a guy who she likes, who she trusts, and he immediately, you know, ruins that, you know, he immediately, he shows that her trust was completely unfounded, and it immediately gets ugly fast, and it's just important to note the details in it, like, yeah, like, that he pushed her and everything, because it's really important to how she is able to come back from this and how she reacts to this. And how Claire going through this is awful. And she can also do something about it in a way that so few people can. So it really goes back to her whole argument with Zach about how I just want to be normal. I just want to be a cheerleader. I just want to be a high schooler. This isn't what I want. But, you know, she is incredibly lucky that she is not normal. Because if she was, then her story would just be over. And it would be incredibly tragic and horrible and i liked that the show just from the start was brave enough to do that it's a really uncomfortable scene to watch they don't they don't shy away from any of that i forgot how graphic it was until i saw it again i was like me too yeah i i think that it's i love how they did this story i like how it concludes later on but i just love how it's such a great thing to show claire like yeah you're not normal and that is a thing that's going to be needed in this world that we live in. And it's it's great that you're able to face off against villains who are not super-powered brain eaters, you know? You can face off against the very real danger just in life for the people who can't, like the girl watching from the bonfire. And I just, yeah, I, I still feel that way. I still feel like, wow, that was really cool that they did that. Yeah, Claire has a very interesting journey, and it is cool to see it from the start again, knowing what we know now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she has a, a great cliffhanger that brings us to next week and how she's going to, you know, <laughs> how she's going to handle this, because, you know, he's certainly not going to expect to see her walking in the door in a homeroom <laughs> On Monday morning, so. <laughs> yeah. Consequences, you asshole. Uh, but yeah, that was one giant leap. I swear to God, I almost said don't look back. <laughs> it's a curse, isn't it? It's a curse. <laughs> so that was one giant leap in which, yeah, many characters took a lot of leaps, leaps of faith. Um, and some were rewarded and some weren't. And we want to thank you for tuning in. Um, we're really excited with the conversations that are starting over on social media with old heroes fans and we hope to bring some new uh people into the fold as well because i like to see the the contrast in the different viewing experiences and what they like and what they didn't like but yeah rachel do you have anything else before we wrap up uh how about you contact us on social media we are on twitter at eclipse podcast and you can email us eclipsepod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from anyone who you know is either feeling nostalgic or is perhaps starting this journey for the first time we would love to hear you know any of your thoughts regarding the characters that we've met so far 
um, any experiences in the fandom that you might like to share um, that you'd be comfortable with you know us sharing on the podcast but yeah get a hold of us let us know we'd also like to know if anyone would like to come on and actually talk on the podcast about their experience yeah we 100% would be into that we we would love to have some some guests show up we could have you know some sort of like little themed hour towards you know the thing that they were interested in or they could just pop in and talk about whatever episode we're doing that week uh yeah let us know get a hold of us say hi yeah so thank you for listening to eclipse heroes podcast i am keisha and i'm rachel and we'll see you next week bye-bye bye next time on eclipse Peter and Mohinder start a book club. Matt Parkman wakes up with one hell of a hangover. Hiro and Ando have a great time in Las Vegas. So does Nathan Petrelli. A wink. And Claire gives us the reason for the episode's title. Tune in.